Hi, this is Elizabeth Bailey, and you're listening to the Citizens Podcast from Citizens Church in Birmingham, Alabama. So here's a big truth to start off with. No one likes to be disliked. No healthy person is like, yes, I love it when my coworkers hate me. I love it when classmates sneer at me. I love when my family looks down on me. No healthy person likes to be disliked because God created us as people who need love. If kids don't get love growing up, it's not going to turn out well when they're older. We are a people who need to be loved, and part of being loved is being liked being enjoyed, being in the company of another person. But here's where it gets tricky. Because in the world, what it takes to be liked or accepted changes all the time. It changes every few years. Our culture changes. Industry standards change. What's acceptable in school changes. Things will continue to keep changing. And it leaves us in this place where at best chasing the world around, trying to be liked, or at worst, falling in the trap of needing to be liked, which is wildly unhealthy. It's okay to want to be liked. That's a part of love. But needing to be liked is a whole nother story. And into this, Jesus makes us a strange and wonderful offer that we can trade a life of chasing the likes of this world. We can trade that in to belong and be loved completely by Jesus. It's a strange promise. It's a wonderful offer that we can change chasing the likes of the world, needing to be liked, in to be completely loved by Jesus. Not just the best parts of us, not a future version of ourselves when we get it together, but even the worst parts of us. Jesus fully knows, loves, and accepts us. But here's the other corollary to it, the other part. Well, we are fully loved and belong to Jesus. If we belong to Jesus, that means the world might just hate us. If we stop chasing the like of the world and trade it for the love of God, we will belong to Jesus and not the world, and we might find out the world hates us. To speak and act on the radical sexual ethics of the Bible has never been popular. It wasn't popular in the Hebrew age. It wasn't popular in the Roman age. It wasn't popular to have a loving marriage in the Middle Middle Ages. It wasn't popular at any time in America. Different parts of the sexual ethic have always been radical and unpopular. Likewise, being pro-life, All of life, from womb to tomb, for every human is a radically unpopular thing in every age of humanity. To take it further, to speak and act on the equality of all people, regardless of class, sex, race, age, that is a radically unpopular idea and has been for a long time, even though these are the ideas that God has been espousing the whole time. Because he loves people. He created them and he loves them to the point that he would die on a cross for them and would endure the hate of his own creation. If we are going to follow Jesus in our speech and in our actions, we will likely at some point, maybe all points, pay a high cost of being hated. This very week we celebrated maybe the most famous Christian pastor in the entire world, Martin Luther King Jr., 
the hero of American life. And while he is widely celebrated and loved now, we must remember during his actual life in ministry in 1963, as he marched on Washington and about to give the I Have a Dream speech that many of us know and think about, he gives Alabama, talks about it mid-sermon, dreaming that white children and black children would play together. That speech, a Gallup poll, that Gallup that does polls today, did a poll and said only 23% of Americans supported his march on Washington and his ministry in general. While a hero now, and rightfully so, we must remember that the truth is rarely popular. And in fact, not just in America, but in every nation, often brings hate, not love, to Christ's followers. See, when we stop chasing the world's likes, we reject its vet. Ooh, come on now. We reject, come on, get away from me, Satan, behind me. Reject, when we reject its value system, you might find hate waiting for you. And Jesus gives us three clear reasons why does the world hate Christ's followers. Look with me, verse 18. It says, if the world hates you, keep in mind, it hated me first. So reason number one, if you follow a man who was murdered for being Jesus, you shouldn't be totally shocked that the world doesn't love everything about you either. Remember, the majority of people that Jesus encountered, even though the crowds eventually followed him and liked him, the majority of people weren't a big fan of Jesus and were totally all right forming an angry mob and forcing the Romans to crucify him on a cross. The second reason we'll be hated is verse 19. It says, if you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you don't belong to the world. But I have chosen you out of the world, and that's why the world hates you. When we belong to Jesus, which belonging to Jesus means to belong to Jesus's words and Jesus's ways on Jesus's terms, when we do that, we necessarily stop belonging to the world's ways. And this produces a friction, and this is where we got to remember the big gospel story, that God created everything. He did. Mankind sinned, it wrecked everything. We could call that the great rebellion, led by Adam and Eve, and it goes to all people of all time. And when we put our faith in Christ, the king who came and died for us, we rejoin God's side of the equation. By his grace, we become friends and even the family of God. So now we're these people loved and safe with God who still live in a world in full rebellion. Therefore comes the friction. The Christian isn't seeking the friction. They seek to follow Jesus and the world will provide plenty of the friction over time. We have to live in a rebellious world. And the friction might feel like this to you. It's friction not to join gossip at the back room at work, to not slide into the Slack DMs and start talking about your boss and how much that she's an idiot or he's an idiot or whatever else. There's friction there. There's friction to not defraud customers. We think that sounds like far and away, and then we hear story after story it hits the news of how people are defrauded or, or wronged or devised systems that hit their bonus structures. We think about Wall Street. We think about a million things that there are systems out there that if you choose not to participate, you might not move up. You might stay right where you are because you can't be trusted to keep the scheme going. There is friction not to go get trashed with the high school friends on that bachelorette weekend. 
There's friction to not overindulge in alcohol on a golf course. There's friction because by you not doing it, there is a subtle judgment, even if you say nothing at all and are kind as can be and as loving as you can be, you are providing and saying, hey, I actually follow a different king where those are not my norms. Those are not my values, even if you don't say anything. There is friction for Christians to care about public policy, to care about politics and not idolize any particular politician or political party. There's friction. They're like, hey, you care about this? You should be all about this with me. And it's okay for us to be passionate about policy because it affects people. That's okay, but we don't idolize any politician or political party. We say, well, I want to do what's best for my neighbor and the flourishing of our country. That's what we do. And that causes friction. That causes misunderstandings. That causes people maligning you or talking about you. And that's the friction many of us face as we continue to follow Jesus and keep our allegiance to Jesus first. And this is the third reason Jesus gives for hate of Christians. Look at verse 21 with me. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. And this one I love because it hammers home. The issue isn't us in particular. They don't know the one who sent Jesus. They don't know God. The issue of the hate of Christians is a theological one, that they simply don't know God. So, of course, they misunderstand you, part of God's family, living out God's ways in a rebellious place. And we must realize, instead of thinking you're above anyone as a Christian or better than anyone, we are not. Because sin makes us slaves. It makes us slaves to the sin. Scripture says it holds us in bondage. It holds us down like whips and cords. And Jesus is the one who sets the captives free. And everyone who follows Jesus was once a captive to sin. So it should motivate us tremendously when we are hated to say, hey man, I actually have the good news. And the guy who sets captives free, I didn't get free by my good deeds. Instead, it was by the sacrifice of my great God. And that's the good news of the gospel. That when you're maligned, it actually presents an opportunity to say, hey man, I'm actually free because of Jesus, and he loves you too. That's why Christians can be said, don't fight evil with evil, but fight evil with love. That's why we're able to love our enemies. That's why by speaking kindness, it's putting coals on the top of our enemy's head. In reality, Christians have no enemies. They're just more captive people that need the goodness of Jesus, just like we've experienced. As we look and we think, Jesus gives us this mighty caveat. There's these reasons the world hates us, but we must remember verse 20, because there's a huge caveat and a huge misunderstanding that lives in the church today. Verse 20 says this, Remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. Jesus is the master, all who follow him are his servants. If they persecuted me, Jesus, they will persecute you, his church. If they obeyed my teaching, Jesus' teaching, they will obey yours also. It is extremely dangerous church when someone gets in the persecuted mindset when they are not actually being persecuted for their faith. It is extremely dangerous to walk around thinking the whole world's against you and you saying it's because of your faith when it actually isn't 
about your faith. True persecution is suffering because of being a servant of Jesus. That's what Jesus is talking about here. And too often, I've seen Christians claim they're being persecuted for their faith, when in reality, they're experiencing conflict because of their lack of maturity. Too often, Christians, because of their lack of tact, because of their emotional infancy, or maybe their own sins or misguided plans, claim they're being persecuted for their faith when it actually has little to nothing to do with what they believe. And if you find yourself in constant contact, constant conflict with others, it's likely not a faith thing, it's a maturity thing. If you bounce from relationship to relationship, community to community, life to life, job to job, and you're just always at war with everyone and you can't get along, it's likely not because of the cross of Jesus makes you humble and gentle. It's because of maturity issues in ourselves. If you find yourself in Facebook fights all day, trust me, that's not a faith thing. That's a wisdom issue. If you find yourself judging others and henceforth low on friends eventually, it's not a faith thing. It is an ugly face of pride of thinking you're better than everybody. Don't do that. Look with me. It says, we are to be hated not because we lack character, but because we live out Christ's character. We are to be hated, not because we lack character, but because we live out Christ's character. That's true persecution. It's not persecution to have low character and have consequences. That is just justice in the world. But look with me in Colossians. It's one of the clearest places on what it looks like to follow Jesus in a rebellious world. Look with me first. This is what a character looks like. This is what your Christ-like character. It says, as God's chosen people, same words Jesus uses, holy and dearly loved. Holy means set apart, a people chosen by God, set apart by God, and then loved by God. This is what you do next. Clothe yourselves in compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. What if citizens got into all sorts of holy trouble because we were just too compassionate? That people are like, someone start a blog. These people are so compassionate, it scandalizes me. That would be the Christian way to live out grace and truth that we were so compassionate, that we were so kind, that people said, call the police. Their kindness is just out of control. They're so gentle with the truth and so gentle with the grace, and they're so patient with everyone. It just drives me insane. Lord, make us that humble that we would be people where everyone and anyone feels comfortable growing over time. Humility isn't saying, oh, not me. Oh, not me. I'm I'm not worthy. That's not humility. That's not it at all. Humility is nearness to Jesus and realizing how small you are before a gigantic Christ. Humility is forgetting about yourself altogether because Christ is so big in your life. What if you walked into your workplace and Christ was so big in your life, you could confidently go about your work and loving people without jockeying up a ladder, without putting people down, without joining in the gossip, and you could just say, man, I'm not too worried about all this stuff because I'm so worried about following Jesus because he's my whole life. That would be what Christ is setting us out. He says, you will run into trouble as you do this. 
living out grace and truth. Colossians 4 says this. It gets even more specific. It says, be wise. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders, the people who would persecute you. Be wise. It literally tells us, like, use your brain. Think about how you're interacting with people who do not believe. Think about people who do believe, but think about people you do not believe. Make sure it's clear and understandable what you're doing. It says, make the most of every opportunity. Every interaction you have is a chance to be full of compassion, full of gentleness, full of kindness, full of patience, full of humility, to the point where you might even be persecuted because you're, you're, you're too kind and gentle and patient. And look what it says. Let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. And this is where your actions are not enough. That's not biblical. Your actions and character should line up with your words. Your words should line up with your character. The Bible explicitly says we should tell people with joy that we are Christians, we follow Jesus, I am kind and gentle because of a great Jesus, not because I'm a great person, but I have a great God. And the scripture is telling us every opportunity, every conversation, we should look through the lens of to this person who doesn't believe, am I living out the character of Christ and am I telling them explicitly about the grace of God that's changed me, seasoned my words of salt, you put salt on a steak, come on, you know? And so, fam, here's the thing. Before we say we're suffering or in conflict because of persecution, we just need to check ourselves, church. We just need to check ourselves, church. As Jesus says in Matthew 7, he says, man, take the log out of your eye before you ever try to remove a speck from another's eye. We need to be a people who uses that word carefully, but also understands why people may misunderstand us, hate us, or treat us poorly on behalf of Christ. Which gets us to the other side of this. Because maybe you might be thinking, you're having an honest conversation in your head, and you're thinking, Pastor, um, I don't think I've ever experienced religious persecution. You may be sitting in your seat and just thinking, you know, maybe not. Maybe you've never had a moment where because you follow Jesus, suddenly there was a cost relationally with this person. And I want to applaud you for having that honest thought and thinking that through. And I want to give you two reasons that you may experience very low persecution or maybe none. And the first is this. How much interaction do you have with lost or unbelieving people? Because Christians, we are called to form a rich community together in the church, but we are just as called to the mission to a lost, weary world of captives who need the good news of the gospel. The best way to share that, they could figure out the gospel on YouTube in under 60 seconds. The best thing you can do is to be in a real relationship with someone where you live out that character and also use words to share the gospel clearly, fully, and beautifully with them, and you live it out consistently. Because all the arguments against Christianity kind of blow up when you meet someone who follows Jesus acts like Jesus, speaks like Jesus, and when they fail to do so, repents like a follower of Jesus. Most of the best conversions around me in my life, people I've led to the Lord, about half of them have been because I blew it, repented, asked forgiveness, said an apology, worked through it, and over time, that became the thing that goes, oh, that was different. And I hope you have the same. It's not about you being Jesus. We already have a Jesus. It's about you pointing to Jesus, both how he's transforming you and how good he truly is for them too.
Can we get an amen, church? That's good news for us. Second reason you might be low to know on the persecution question is maybe your life does not look all that different from the unbelieving world. There will be little friction in your life if, to be honest, you mostly belong to the world. That you're Christian, you say that, you check a box on it, but Christ has no tangible ownership on your time, on your deepest values, on your money, on your thought life. If you're not much different from the world, then people will just assume you're nice or from a good family, whatever that means. Or you just got good vibes, man. You just really got good vibes. We need to be more than good vibes. And so instead of beating you up saying, hey, you need to be more different, more different all the time, I just want to say, man, both of those things are highly changeable. You can get in relationship with people who don't believe tomorrow. You can start to have your life changed by Jesus tomorrow. And because there's such highly changeable, highly impactable things by God, things God definitely wants to make you more like Jesus and definitely wants to use you to reach others, you can pray and be guaranteed if you want to change those things about you, God is already at the door saying, let's go, man. My bags are already packed. Let's get on that journey. So instead of beating yourself up or beating down, look to Jesus and say, man, there is a hope and a future right here for me. And look right here. Look at verse 20. This is where it gets into it again. It says, remember, I told you, a servant's not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. Jesus is saying, in just the same way, did everyone believe in Jesus when he came? No. Did some believe in Jesus when he came? Obviously, we're here today. And he's saying the same for you. You can change, and more than you can change, God wants to use you and promises it right here. He says, just as they heard my voice and saw my actions and believed and obeyed, so will you. When you teach and live, some will obey and believe. It is a wonderful promise that we should lift up and say, Lord, I want more of this. I want to have the friction of persecution. I'm not looking to cause trouble, but trouble will come for me as I continually to follow this radical, wonderful Jesus in this life. And you promise that some will even obey and come to obedience of the faith through me. What a wonderful promise of the mission of God in your life. If you are lacking purpose in your life, you feel stuck in your life, I am telling you, wherever you live, wherever you work, the friends that you have, the family you have, you are put there by God to follow Jesus, so clothed in compassion that it might cause friction. And at that friction, you would be able to share, I don't have to hate you or be mad at you. Instead, I can be cool with you because I'm loved by God. even if you don't like me, and I can share the gospel of the good news of why I have such confidence to not battle back with you, but instead love you. Jesus is filling us with his purpose. And this is what he says. He gives us three pieces of advice to his disciples and to us saying, here's how I want you to apply this. When the friction comes, this is how I want you to react. First is this. First, trust the Lord by relying on the sent Holy Spirit. Look at 1526 with me and 16.4. It says, when the advocate comes, that's just another name for the Holy Spirit, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And I've told you this so that when the time comes, you'll remember that I warned you about them. Jesus is not saying, hey, go follow me. 
it's going to be rough. Good luck. He's saying, hey, follow me. And I'm sending my very spirit, the Holy Spirit, to be with you. You are never alone if you're rolling with Jesus. Why? Because he's Jesus and he gives us a Holy Spirit to be with us, to rely on us. When you experience friction at work, you are not alone, even if you're the only Christian in the building. You have someone mightier in the Holy Spirit with you. And guess what he's going to do from now on in your life? Or maybe he's been doing this a long time. He's going to remind you that we talked about this. It literally says, so he can remember I've warned you about all this. He's going to say, hey, guess what? Guess what, Kelsey? John 15 and 16, they're true, man. There's some friction here, but I have not left you. You are not alone, and I am with you. The second thing that God wants you to do when you hit friction is this. He doesn't want you to fall away. Look with me at 16, 1 through 3. Super interesting stuff. All this I've told to you so that you will not fall away. They will put you out the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone kills you will think they're offering a service to God. They will do such thing because they have not known the Father nor me. Jesus knows we're not Jesus. He knows we're frail humans, that we're prone to unbelief. We're being redeemed. We're being empowered by the Holy Spirit. But man, we still fail all the time. And Jesus is saying, when things get rough, don't fall away. Just don't fall away. That's an explicit marching order from Jesus. You will be tempted to turn back from the friction, to smooth it out on something other than the gospel and say, I I, I quit, I'm out. And Jesus is saying, don't fall away. He knows you're not a Navy SEAL for Jesus. Instead, he gives a metaphor of I'm the true vine and you are the branches. Stay connected to me. And he's telling these Jewish believers that one day soon, they're going to be put out the synagogue. And that doesn't mean a lot to us unless you're from a Jewish background, but for them, it meant everything. To be out of the synagogue meant they were kicked out of their religious community altogether. They likely will lose economic opportunity of whatever their business is and be shunned in the ancient world. Furthermore, their family, if they don't believe in Jesus, probably is going to stick with the synagogue, not them. And this is the same cost paid paid by our Islamic brothers who've came to follow Christ. Same from some Jewish backgrounds today. Same from many religious backgrounds. To follow Christ for many people means being shut out of the synagogue, whatever that is for them. And we must remember that and remember the cost that the worst persecution outside of physical death and imprisonment would be this. And Jesus is guaranteeing it for them and guaranteeing it for anyone who follows Jesus is they will probably be left out of something or pushed out of something or limited in what they can do. But we must remember that this is the cost of following Jesus. And we get this amazing warning passage here that Jesus says, don't fall away. And if you've been to citizens a long time, you're like, why is Jesus saying don't fall away? Jesus, Justin says all the time, Jesus saves me from beginning to end. I'm saved by grace. That I can never fall out of the grasp of God. Then why is Jesus here saying don't fall away like I could fall away from God? And so here's how to explain it. A preacher named Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the greatest preacher of the 19th century. There's about a dozen of these passages in the New Testament that just tell us explicitly, don't fall away. Like, don't do it. And he explained it. It's like going hiking on a great mountain, getting to the top of the mountain, getting to the beautiful view, and there's a big cliff. And these passages are like this sign. No jumping or diving from the cliff, you will die. 
The warning passages that say don't fall away from Jesus are like the signs lining a cliff that a believer to look at and obey when they're tempted to go jump. That they're tempted to go and disbelieve. That a road would be easier to stop following Jesus. These passages that don't fall away are encouragements to say, stay on the cliff, don't jump. Because for us, most of our falling away does not look like jumping off a cliff. I'm 15 years into pastoral ministry of working with people and doing discipleship. And it follows a familiar pattern of those who fall away. It feels unique to the person experiencing it, but it's actually the same pattern kind of over and over. And it looks like this. The believer has a hidden sin or hidden doubt or has had a hidden hardship and they choose to hide it further. Over time, the second movement, they find a community or philosophy that makes that thing not sound so bad or maybe more acceptable or a source of comfort. Third, they withdraw from the community of real relationships they have and start to isolate. And fourth, they wait for some external thing, maybe a leader disappointing them, a mentor turning on them, a friend being rude to them, and point to that and say, that's why I'm out of the faith. It actually has little to do with that event. That's just the catalyst or the event to say, I'm going to go ahead and jump, even if they've been preparing their parachute and sitting on the ledge for quite some time. Because Christians are left to wonder, how did they stop believing? What happened? What happened to this leader? What happened to this person? What happened to my mom? What happened to this? Not my mom. She, she believes. She's doing great. But it's a familiar pattern to hide the thing, to withdraw to a new place, to isolate, and then eventually wait to the bump in the road that says, I can just get out the car. And Jesus is saying, don't let yourself go that way. If you're in that cycle today, let's get you help today. We want to support, love you, clothed with compassion, gentle kindness, and help you believe whatever the doubt is, whatever the sin is, whatever the hardship is, don't go it alone, my friend. In church, one of the most wise things I've ever heard was from my pastor in Louisville, Pastor Jamal. He says, man, you got to love someone enough to be kind and gentle and say, you're in a cycle like this, and let's walk out of this together. Friends don't let friends fall off cliffs. Amen. Let's not be people who play at the cliffs together, but rather people who read the signs and love each other enough to say, man, are you packing a parachute? What's going on? You've changed a lot. Can we talk? This isn't to scare you, but to show you what falling away is. We don't have to submit to that cycle. We can take the friction, the hardship, the sin of life, and we can choose as an opportunity for greater gospel depth, both for us and the people around us. And the third thing the Lord wants us to do, trust the Lord, don't fall away. In verse 27, it says, and you also must testify for you've been with me from the beginning. Testify is just another word for witness, another word for tell people about Jesus. You will see so much more fruit in your life if you see the friction in your life, not as a problem to overcome, but an opportunity to reveal who your God is. If you see the friction with others, the friction at work, the friction with your family is not just a problem, oh, I just want to get over it, but actually an opportunity to show who your God is, both in your words and actions. And Jesus explicitly says, life is going to be hard, disciples. People are going to dislike you and hate you. You're going to be thrown out of a synagogue. But guess what? You keep witnessing anyways. Don't fall away and rely on me. 
When we belong to Jesus, we become sure that God loves us and we're not worried so much if the world likes us. When we belong to Jesus, we're sure that God loves us and we're not so worried if the world likes us. So church, rely on God's spirit. Do not fall away and witness anyways. You've been listening to the Citizens Church Podcast. Special thanks to Murphy DX, who recorded our theme music, and to Austin Oglesby, who mastered these tracks for us. If you'd like to learn more about Citizens Church in Birmingham, Alabama, you can visit us on our website at citizensbhm.com or on the usual suspects, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.